0: It was a classic uh, reload the page problem.
1: (laughs) Turn it off, turn it on, hit it a few times, eventually it works.
0: Welcome to episode 27 of Acquired, the show about technology acquisitions and IPOs. I'm Ben Gilbert. I'm David Rosenthal. And we are your hosts. Today's episode is a discussion about M&A at Microsoft with Brian Schultz.
2: Brian is the Managing Director and Head of Strategic Investments at Microsoft, and uh, Brian actually started at Microsoft in 1999 in CorpDev, and uh, then left for a little detour into the startup world in the mid-2000s. He left and co-founded Ontella here in Seattle, um, which was ultimately acquired by Photobucket, Uh, and he did that with Dan Shapiro, who's now the co-founder and CEO of Glowforge here in town. Shout out to Dan um after that he came back to big tech and to m&a uh to microsoft uh and has been back in corp dev and now running strategic investments ever since uh but remains very active in the seattle startup scene and has been a friend to us uh and many others here so welcome brian and thanks for joining us
1: thanks for having me yeah yeah
2: we are um Super excited to you know we've had uh, we've had Taylor Beretta from Adobe on who runs Adobe's Corp Dev, Um, but uh, super excited to talk to you about kind of the bridging this world between kind of the big technology companies and running Corp Dev there and strategic investments, but actually having gone and founded a startup yourself. um, How uh, you know what's your perspective? What what kind of brought you back
1: into Microsoft after? tasting the startup world right well there's uh, i think a whole bunch of different ways to look at it uh, and and You know, I think the the one thing that I I certainly believe is that it actually has made me a better corp dev person uh, by far, having been on the other side, if you will, Uh, you know, talk about uh, empathy, Empathy uh, you know, having, (laughs) yeah, and having, you know, had to raise money and and, uh, deal with uh, these discussions that that happen between uh, strategic investors and acquirers. Raise money and 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 sell your company. All these things. Uh, And so, you know, just having, and and as a CFO, COO of a startup, having uh, been on the other side, both on the investing and acquiring side I, I also i think i hope avoided a lot of pitfalls and, and kept my you know cap table clean and, you know I knew a lot of things that I, I should be doing uh that i think a lot of folks uh, can get trapped in um and so yeah I, I think having the the diverse set of experiences is a great thing and i wish uh, more folks in, in microsoft and other big companies as well as in startups had had that empathy <laughs> to be able to uh, reach across the aisle um and Of course, now we're getting into politics and didn't mean to do that. But uh, <laughs> yeah. going back. Was uh, there an election this year? I, I don't know what you're talking about. I completely. Uh, all out. Blocked, completely blocked. Uh, you know, one good example is, is in a startup, of course, you, know, you have trouble getting people to call you back. Right? You want to do partnerships. You want to mm-hmm. do fundraising, whatever it is. Or you're just out there trying to you know, make yourself known and, and actually do things. Uh, whereas in the big company, you almost have the opposite problem where you have too many people you have to deal with, <laughs> you know? And, and so uh, thinking specifically about M&A, uh, you know, I, I acquired a company uh, a few years ago uh, that was about 25 people. And I remember looking at, at the conference call, um, you know, set up on my computer, said, you have 28 people on the call. <laughs> so to do the acquisition of 25 people, I was talking to 28 people. <laughs> uh, was, that, and was that a uh, just an internal Microsoft it's call? Just an internal call, right? Yeah. And, and wow. you know, if, if you think about you know all the business owners plus their lawyers uh, in and outside of the company, um, and it, it, it's just you know it's, it's a big effort. Now, you know of course the uh, that that doesn't quite scale, right? And so even doing say an acquisition of LinkedIn, you don't necessarily have a much bigger team on the inside. Uh, but you, you know along have, with ten thousand people and- exactly. Uh, well, yeah, definitely not. Uh, hopefully not.
0: So you're you're the head of strategic investments. To give a little bit of context to our listeners, can you explain? What that uh, looks like organizationally I- inside of Microsoft and what the process looks like when when you're acquiring a company like do you find the company and bring it in or does a business owner find the company and then loop you in to start the actual formal process. How, how does that look.
1: The corporate development team uh, within Microsoft sits uh, under the CFO, uh, and we manage Microsoft's balance sheet uh, activities. And so, if you think about acquisitions, investments, divestitures, and joint ventures, uh, when, when we do these partnership uh, activities as it relates to the balance sheet, that's where corporate development gets involved. Um, and the the kind of how we find companies or, or, or uh, find our targets and, and have these discussions uh, is. Is really it's a mix, although it's typically driven by our business groups in terms of the finding of the companies, and and that is because our product teams they know their they know their markets much better than we do, and, and certainly at Microsoft we have such a broad based business in so many different areas It would be really difficult for the central team to be all knowing, right? <laughs> you have I mean, to in be in any a given space. Capitalist. Well yeah, I mean so yeah, you know, I mean you guys obviously have these extensive maps of, of different spaces and it's constantly evolving and you have new players coming on board and, and in any given little micro area you might have you know ten, fifteen, a hundred companies, right? Yep. Uh and so if you think about that at the Microsoft scale across all of our products, you know, you'd be looking at a really complex uh, diagram and, and so it's really impossible for a central team to keep up with all of that. And so we really rely on the business groups um, to think about What's in their space uh, as they think about their roadmaps, uh, and most of the M I mean, obviously the the headlines go to to LinkedIn and, and the large size uh, acquisitions we do, but, but most of our acquisitions tend to be much smaller, uh, and are really driven by those product roadmaps in terms of of where there are holes and, and what they need to fill and and where they're where they're going, and and so those are are really just square up the center of uh, of where the product teams are thinking.
2: Yeah, I'm curious to kind of go back to you know, the fact that you have kind of actually been a founder in a startup and a successful one, you know, that raised money and then was acquired and and then did M&A at Microsoft before and then came back to do it again. Uh, How did it change your perspective? Like, are there particular things that you're more acutely aware of now or that you think about differently than before? And because when you joined before, uh, I think you'd been an investment banking analyst, right? As mm-hmm. many yep. folks who come into M and A roles at, at companies have been. Um, which, speaking from experience myself, you know, that's pretty far from actually being a founder of a startup. Um, yep. So, how how the perspective change?
1: Yeah, well, you know, when I got to Microsoft, I mean, even when I was doing investment banking, I was thinking, uh, you know. It, it's you're almost too removed from what's actually happening on the ground in, in terms of doing something. right? I mean, you're, you're kind of advising and and moving things you know uh, around the chessboard, but you're not actually doing anything, producing anything. Not building the chess pieces exactly, and and so. You know, in investment banking, that's why I joined Microsoft because I thought, wow, I I really want to get into an operating role in a company, um, and, and that seemed like a good path to do it. And this was, you know, back in 1999, right at the height of the dot-com boom, uh, where you know, everything was was kind of going a little crazy. And, and my thought at the time was, you know, this this is going to end some somewhat soon, most likely, um, and, and I want to go get myself positioned in a place where where I could actually, you know, still have a job in a year, Take and a and actually music stops, yeah, yeah, and and actually learn something from it, uh, and. And, and so that's where that Microsoft job seemed really appealing, and, and I'd never been to Seattle and hadn't really thought too much about, about coming here to do that, but, uh, but it worked out nicely. Uh, and you know we were super active in those early days, um, and then uh, and then I got here and and, uh, and did did a lot of fun things and actually helped create an internal startup at the time. I was advising uh, the Windows and, and our kind of infrastructure teams, enterprise teams, on uh, security, storage management, and, and those types of systems. And and uh, we started the security business group um, oh, cool. back then. Yeah. And so I joined what, uh, that. Team. Is that
2: what became Windows Defender?
1: Uh, eventually became defender and a whole bunch of other things. And and uh, you know one of the first things we did was acquire uh, you know at the time anti uh, spyware antivirus technologies, yep. uh, and and roll those in along with some stuff that we built. Uh, and and so I joined this startup group and and uh, realized hey I really like this startup thing, but doing it within Microsoft um, was was not quite what <laughs> what I uh, had in mind. Uh, and you know real I saw the you know the pros and cons of that and, and thought it would be really great to go and, and actually do it for real. Uh, and so actually, uh, there was a company I, I co-founded before Ontella, uh, which was at the time known as Genesis uh, and then became Plectix Biosystems. Uh, and, and there was a Microsoft co-founder uh, that, that I met, uh, and we went out and raised money for that company. Um, and then I left that company after about a year after we got it funded uh, and joined up with Dan and Charles, where we uh, founded Ontella. Uh, and, and so, you know, the, kind of that pathway and w- what I realized was kind of taking the, the business knowledge and the corp dev knowledge as a general finance and business and strategy thinking, um, you know, and work with some really great technical and product folks, uh, was really a nice, uh, a nice combination. Uh, and so that was kind of that role that I took on as, you know, kind of founder and then evolving into, you know, CFO, COO. I'm curious, you're kind
2: of getting into your. Specific role, uh, which I assume probably takes much, if not most, of your time these days in in the investment side. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that function at Microsoft? And how and, and Microsoft just relaunched Microsoft Ventures, which is early stage investing, kind of more traditional VC type stuff. You do later stage, larger checks, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and and you know that's actually probably gone through more of a significant evolution uh, than the. The core M and role has you know in in those three uh, epics. So you know, kind of in that dot com timeframe, uh, Microsoft was very active as an investor, uh, and and in those days, you know, every company was going public. You know, a year after they were founded, uh, and, and right. the, one the, of the the Series B round was your IPO. Pretty much, and and. What was um, commonly accepted as as one requirement of your IPO? It, it wasn't revenue, <laughs> uh, but it was uh, it was actually having a strategic investor. And so, you know, kind of the the name brands uh, of your investors uh, lent a lot of strength to your IPO and, and, and without days, anything right? else.
2: When the number one VC question was, "What are you going to do when Microsoft enters your space?" Right.
1: <laughs> that's that's right, and and so you know, Cisco, Microsoft, you know, kind of the big companies at the time, uh, were investing a lot in a lot of different startups. Um, and we were also investing, it was, you know, it was a, a really interesting time, uh, in terms of influence and how the world was going to, uh, play out. And so we were investing in, you know, undersea fiber cables and s- satellite companies and, mm-hmm. and cable companies and telcos and DSL coming, you name it. Uh, and so we were really spreading around a lot of money. Um, and, and that didn't end so well. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, uh, we didn't really get the strategic return. And, and of course, you know, from a Microsoft perspective, uh, despite having a, a nice balance sheet, our investors aren't investing in us as an investor. They're investing in us as an operating company who's delivering you know, revenues and profits to, to our shareholders. And so, you know, even if you take a billion dollars of our balance sheet and turn it into two billion, three billion, five billion, 5 billion, you know, it, it doesn't really impact your stock price in the same way as, as doubling, tripling revenue. Uh, and, and profit. And so we you know we, we weren't so the reason to do it was was really strategic reasons of how are you going to take those investments and turn that into to leverage plays on increasing revenue and and uh, and profit for the company? And that didn't really happen. Uh, and, and so we, we really stopped doing it uh, for the most part throughout the 2000s. Uh, and you know, I think one notable exception was our investment in Facebook back in 2007. Um, right. and, and so what we did do is we said you know where it's really, really deeply strategic, we'll go out and we'll do an investment. Uh, and that's what we did in Facebook's case. Uh, but otherwise we weren't really doing this you know kind of hey we'll put some money in our balance sheet, we're a partner and why not yep. um, kind of kind of thing. Was-
2: the the just quick sidebar. I mean, the Facebook yeah. investment at the time the world thought you guys
1: were crazy, right? Like a yeah. one oh, they, they billion dollar valuation, right. I believe. And that's uh, right. I think uh, their last uh, round had been done at five, uh five billion. And so we we took it up to fifteen. Um and yeah, they they certainly ridiculed us at the time, obviously in hindsight that that did okay. Turned yeah. out pretty well, yeah.
0: And I remember when I was there, that that began um or this was uh this was after the investment, but um, there was a lot of integrations, like the companies were yeah. very friendly with each other. There was, uh, when windows phone was kind of, uh, uh, doing a lot of things differently than, than iOS and Android were doing and, um, kind of like integrating across networks. There was a lot of like, um, kind of proprietary first party type integration with, with Facebook and their contacts and, and providing Bing back to them for mapping things. And there was, there was like a very tight integration there. So I can, I can totally see what you're talking about on the strategic side.
1: Yeah and and that was that was exactly that case right where we could really deeply align with with a, a partner and and do the investment uh you know create this whole win-win uh scenario i think you know coming back to to investments um you know they're often talked about as a you know kind of either or you know hey you can acquire us or you can invest in us you know and and uh and and i don't really think they operate that way as as really you know, substitutable goods Uh, because, you know, as a, as a minority, uh, completely
2: speaking as a shareholder in lots of startups, yeah, Yeah, it's very different if, you know, you create an exit for the company versus just put more money into the company.
1: That's, that's absolutely right. And and if you think about, again, coming back to the strategic angle of it, um, you know, if we own, you know, 5%, 2%, 10%, even 20%, even with a board seat of any given startup, uh, we really don't have any control. (laughs) uh right, and right. and we don't really have really anything um you know yes you have some some equity and that's that's obviously nice but again that's not really what we're here for we're here to to be partners wall street isn't compensating isn't that's right. wall street isn't uh evaluating the microsoft share price
2: based on how good you are as an investor that's absolutely correct uh um, yeah that,
0: that's that's like a fascinating uh taking a step back for our listeners and and thinking about um how we normally uh, evaluate companies on these episodes being an LP, or let's say you're a venture capital firm and you have LPs, the pressure on you and the expectation is very different than being an operating company with shareholders. Like the, the shareholders are looking for multiples that come from um, your your operations and your ability to um, execute core business activities in a sustainable way. And when LPs are, are in a fund, you know they're in it for for ten years. They're looking for three three times or so the the uh, capital that they put in. Hopefully more. But really, it's like, can you guys sustainably make these investments? And I think as an operating company, that's just not. To your point, it doesn't move the share price. It's it's not the it business.
1: That's right. And and you know, from an, from an employee perspective, I mean, take this all the way down to the, the individual practitioners in any given corporate fund. And again, you can you know, for any of you who are talking to different uh, corporate investors, you know, ask them how they get compensated, right? And and most likely if it's your typical corporate VC uh, and it's a balance sheet, activity, they're, they're employees of the company, right? And their, yep. their compensation is going to come in, you know, shares and bonuses and, and salary uh, from the operations of that company. It's not coming from, you know, whether or not you succeed, yep. <laughs> whereas obviously a VC investor is in a different place. And and so, uh, you know, that's why you think you have to be really careful in this world of, of strategic investing yeah. and, and coming back to why we do it. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know,
2: with all that context and having done it in the past and realized it didn't work, how what's the philosophy this time around?
1: Yeah, and, and when you say it doesn't work, I, mean, you know, I think you have, you have to be careful in, in terms of work to do what, right? And, right. and so if your objective is, is these really deep strategic tie-ups and or a return on your capital – uh, or both right I mean I think it's it's kind of hard to do both at the same time <laughs> uh, and and you think about you know setting valuation and being a difficult um, you know investor sometimes you have to have hard conversations uh, as an investor with uh, with your your companies and, and you think about obviously the hardest one that a board might have to do which is uh, changing out a CEO um, you know, as a partner as a strategic investor we're not good at that Right. right. I mean, we 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 certainly don't want to ever have to turn to our partner and say, you know, by the way, um, you 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 founder, you CEO, you're you're not right for this company anymore as an investor. Uh, or also, and, even you know, I mean, there's so many whole set of difficult conversations that come along with being
2: an investor in companies. But you know, one in particular I'm thinking about is, uh, hey, now is actually the right time to sell the company to sell the company um, and if you to are to fold a the company, acquire
1: as well. Then <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and and so there's a lot of conflict there. Um and, and it's why, you know, I think it if, if you want to do strategic investing the right way, you have to be really Clear on what your objectives are and, and why you're doing it, or, or you create lots of conflict, and in many cases they can backfire. Uh, and, and certainly something we want to be very cognizant of is our reputation among investors, among founders, and, and, uh, and technologists. Is, is we never, you know, we never want to damage our reputation as a good partner, as a good technology company, uh, mm-hmm. in order to achieve those investment returns. Uh, because obviously that's that's penny wise pound foolish for us.
0: So would you say the effort is more around creating um, like strategic partnerships through investment rather than investment to generate returns?
1: Well, so it's it's the way we've scoped it, uh, and there's actually two components to this. One of them is, is relatively new, which as of earlier this year, we created Microsoft Ventures, uh, which is an early stage venture effort. Uh, and so Microsoft Ventures is out there looking for um, you know, companies that are in, in, in generally our strategic uh, partnership ecosystem and, and they're looking to establish those relationships uh, starting with that uh, with that equity check and, and developing a relationship. Uh, and so they're they're out there looking on the come, and, you know and, and uh, if you're using a crafts analogy. And so the uh, you know the fact is at the early stage, uh, you know kind of your your seed, your a type stage uh, investment, it's it's hard to be a meaningful strategic partner to Microsoft because our, our scale, right? It, it, it's really hard to do. Uh, now you can be a potentially really interesting strategic partner. Uh, and, and so that's what Microsoft Ventures is there to do, which is to create those relationships and those opportunities and, and, uh, and be in those conversations around, um, around how we can add value to, uh, to companies. In some cases, that's going to come with that equity check and then a partnership. In some cases, you uh, know, come just from the partnership, but they're there to, to have those conversations. Uh, on, on my side of the house, uh, it's, it's almost the opposite where I'm leaning into companies that are already Microsoft partners uh, and, and that are mm-hmm. deep, meaningful ones. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, we're doing, you know, call it five to 10 of them a year. Uh, and it's really more of, uh, you know, an endorsement and ecosystem leverage and, and tightening that relationship, um, as opposed to, uh, you know, trying to find new and interesting, uh, partnership opportunities. Uh, and so that's why I'm, I'm more of a growth investor, if you will, because these companies tend to be a little bigger, a little more mature. Yep.
2: and and are these companies like like for instance, that might be selling through the Microsoft Salesforce on the enterprise side already? Yes, or?
1: and and so we typically look, and obviously we have lots of partners, um, and and, uh, and those partnerships uh, come in in you know w- when I look at a strategic investment, really three three criteria uh, at its core. One is uh, on the partnership side, uh, is there a really interesting you know technology product integration? Uh, between the two companies that makes this really interesting. Uh, And then the second piece is there some sort of go-to-market sales marketing motion uh, that makes the combination of the partnership powerful. And where I find really interesting uh, components of both, right, because there are plenty of companies that have one or the other, uh, but when you find a really, really impactful uh, combination of those two things, uh, that's where it gets more interesting as a strategic investment, uh, and then the the last part, the third part, is is it a good investment? Uh, and and just like any kind of growth investor, we'll monitor a portfolio, uh, you know, based on expected returns and, and make financially sound investments in those meaningful partners.
2: As as I have to imagine, as much as Wall Street won't reward you for being a great investor. Uh, Amy Hood, Microsoft CFO, might punish you for being a bad investor.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, that, that's again why um, why we we tend you know not to to do this you know, in a hugely active way. I mean, again, I'm not out there spraying billions of dollars of our balance sheet money around because that, that really just creates a huge liability. And so we do it, uh, you know, where it's meaningful, where it makes sense, and where we think we're going to get a uh, reasonable financial return uh, that's, you know, risk-based. Uh, and so over the last uh, two years, since we, you know, kind of done the, d- started doing this in a programmatic way, uh, we've uh, done about sixteen investments uh, investing about two hundred fifty million uh, on on this side of of the house on the growth side. yeah uh, you know, Microsoft Ventures has a, a separate portfolio they're managing.
0: that's a great transition we um we want to uh, move into talking about the state of the m a market right now at large and yep. uh, it, it's it's um you talking about uh, number of deals is a great segue into why have we seen so much deal activity this year, both large and small? And and
2: the largest of which being obviously you guys,
1: right?
0: Well, yeah, With and, LinkedIn.
1: And those are, again, you know, as we look at M and A, they are they are different, and and we're always looking for great opportunities for us to grow, uh, and and so you know the question of uh, you know th- those large companies. Uh, we 're we're always evaluating everything right uh, and, and the thing with the large companies they they tend not to be you know suddenly found opportunities we we do right. we, we know about linkedin we we know they 're there you know we we know where all these large <laughs> companies are we know who they are um, and and uh and, and so you know those are always being evaluated and, and obviously when you know something happens, whether you know w- something flips between you know day one and day two or we decide okay now it 's the time to, to acquire skype now it 's the time to acquire LinkedIn. Um, and, and you know, there's a whole bunch of things that go into that. Uh, and in terms of you're your asking about the trends you know, right now, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there's anything on our side of the house um, that, that makes this a better time or, or um, more exciting time to acquire. I'd say it's almost on the opposite side, where you know, it might be a really good time to sell. <laughs> and so there's a lot more companies that are, are trying to market themselves mm-hmm. uh, in that way. Um, and, and if you think about the, the technology cycle, uh, and, you know, kind of the, how things get funded and how technology moves in waves uh, and, and how startups get funded. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot of companies that are, you know, kind of coming to be a no man's land uh, in terms of their growth relative to the last round, relative to their you know, ability to raise more money uh, and, and really kind of reach escape velocity into independent land, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of companies that are, are certainly looking to sell. Do, do
0: you think that's motivating? Uh, it, let, let's zoom out from Microsoft and look at the industry at large. That's motivating why so many deals are getting done? Because companies are so much better at marketing themselves as as a great pickup?
1: Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if they're better at marketing themselves, but uh, they, they need to. <laughs> they need to be, right? I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, if, if your next funding round isn't going to come, yeah. um, <laughs> you've got to do something, right? I mean, you've either got to fund through cash flow, or you got to fund through investment. And, and uh, if you can't, you know, raise your revenues enough relative to your burn. And, and if you can't, um, you know, raise investment, then you really have one choice. Yep. Uh, uh well, and, yeah, and two so choices, think, yeah. one is happier well, right. than the other. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> good. Fair point. Uh, I'm uh, talking about the companies that actually have something, right? Yeah. And, and so, you know, th- there will be a price, um, for, yeah. for companies that actually have, have something, right? So uh, how do you, and,
2: I'm, I'm curious on that front, the, the fact of life in startups is, um, unfortunately more companies than not end up in that situation, um, you know, where, uh, they've built something, you know. they've built a product, it's getting usage, they have revenue, uh, but it's either uh, not going to get to a scale where they can cover their burn and thus the company has faces the prospect of going out of business. Or, or uh, we see this plenty of times too, the business grows to a certain scale, it becomes profitable, but then the growth just stalls and uh-huh. you're, you're, you realize you're not going to get to a point where you could be a standalone independent company. I'm curious for you guys, like, you probably see these companies, you know, many times a week. Um, How do you think about whether they make sense, whether an asset like that makes sense for you?
1: Yeah, well, it it goes back to what you're talking about earlier in terms of who's driving that decision. And and it's, um, you know, and again, different companies are different here, right? And so we are typically a a product driven company uh, when it comes to M&A and comes to our business generally. And so we're not out there looking to assemble in in kind of business conglomerate sense an amalgamation of random software companies. Uh, and so you, you could certainly have that kind of business, right, where you go out and find interesting software companies that then you can, through synergies of, of overhead and sales and other things, can, can make good money at. Uh, we're not really in that game. You know, we're, we're here to, to grow our, our franchises and, and our products and, and really be a leading technology company. And so we're looking uh, really at our technology roadmap. Uh, and, and saying where things need to fit in, which is partly why we're we're less of that opportunistic buyer. Yep, uh, that's out there, kind of just buying companies that that have you know fallen uh, fallen angels, if you will. Now there's still plenty of fallen angels that we that are interesting to us, uh, but you know, but those two things are that, different. The yes, it's yeah, related it's to the roadmap. And so where those two things intersect, where you have a fallen angel that's on a roadmap, that that's where things get exciting for us. Um, and you know, the other piece of that, uh, for, again, from a Microsoft perspective is we're typically not looking to acquire businesses. We are typically looking to acquire teams and, and products and technologies. Yeah. Um, and, and again, thinking about that roadmap piece where holes are in the roadmap, um, you know, we, we, sell the office suite. Um, and so where things can plug into that, that's great. But if we're acquiring a business, uh, you know, sometimes that's oftentimes that's incompatible with with selling as the suite. Uh and so in some cases actually having a large sales force and a large business could be actually value destructive yeah. uh relative yeah. to how we think about things. And and so there's there's plenty of companies that are great, but because they have such infrastructure and raise such money, uh, that it actually takes it out of our our ability to really find any interesting you know, intersection of, of deal value relative to what they need and want to sell for.
0: Wow. That's, that's, that's fascinating to think about the, the conflicts there because we um, listeners of the show who have uh, kind of listened to our, our, more classic analyze a single acquisition episodes. Um, will remember that we, we analyze whether a, an acquisition was technology product business line, people asset or other. And we've got mm-hmm. these kind of categories and it's interesting to think about if it's a business line, that can't be incompatible with the existing business line of the the acquirer if the acquirer is not looking to create a conglomerate, right? Of of like yep. separate and potentially even competitive businesses under the same management structure. So for you guys, I you know I uh, when when um, we did the LinkedIn episode, we were looking at um, you know it was like an eight x multiple of revenue uh, that that LinkedIn was acquired for, and we were like, well, you know it's actually a pretty good business on its own, even if there aren't a lot of synergies and integrations. And it's interesting to think about, like you, you sort of pushing back on that notion of like, no, we don't just buy businesses because they're good businesses, and like, you know, we hope to cash flow them for the long term. It's actually a strategic integration, and they have to be compatible with our existing business.
1: That's right. Now, now, obviously, and that's one of the reasons that you know you look at the larger businesses we buy, um, you know, like a Yammer or like a, a Mojang on the Minecraft side, or, or like yep. a, a LinkedIn. Um, you know, generally, you're. you're you know, to make those deals work, you're generally not going to destroy their business. Uh, and, and so if you have enough critical mass and it makes sense on, on the strategic side, that's, you know, it's, it's a different game too. Um, and so, you know, all these things do fit together and, and every deal is different. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm just saying on the whole, when we're thinking about these things, uh, you know, the, those are some of the, the things we think about and consider is, is, you know, how does that business play? As you said, with, with our existing business, is, is that something that we value or, or something that we don't? Or in some cases, something that actually is a cost to us.
2: One uh, kind of tying together both of these topics on um, growth and sort of the, um, the roadmap and strategic imperative for Microsoft uh, at the opposite end of the spectrum, a trend that's emerged or reemerged in 2016. And I'm curious your take on and whether you talk to these guys is the, the appearance of private equity in the um, in the software market. Uh, and sort of the P-fueled or P-led buyouts of software companies, Um, how much, you know, in in many ways, that's the exact opposite of what you're talking about. (laughs) That is the, um, you know, if if not, in some cases, an attempt to create a a conglomerate uh, of multiple software companies together. But in other cases, just, um, you know, hey, we're we're just going to take this private solely for its own business line. Um, Why do you think we've seen that emerge? Because traditionally, PE has shied far away from technology. These are typically not cash flow positive companies. You can't put debt on them.
1: Um, what's changed? Well, I think I think that has changed, right? I think there are a lot of now mature um, software companies that have legacy businesses uh, mm-hmm. where where you have nice cash flow. And you know, if you think about your typical. Technology companies' business, where you know, a lot of money goes to R and D because you're always trying to grow uh, and and chase the next next generation. Uh, if you strip out all that cost, in some cases you can have a really nice profitable business because the marginal cost of producing and selling software is, is relatively low, or I should say, the cost of producing is relatively low. The cost of selling it could be mm-hmm. high, but um, you know yes. where where you find that that right. Um, that right model, where where if you strip out a lot of costs from the business and you you think you have this pretty solid revenue stream from customers that that you know, even if you don't invest is just going to fade out over time, um, you can actually have some really nice traditional-looking LBOs, uh, and so we've certainly seen that. Um, those you know those aren't always so exciting to us, uh, but. You know, we, we actually have co-invested uh, with some private equity firms in a few of these uh, take privates or LBOs or, or um, you know, re, resettlings, uh, and, and uh, the one that was announced is uh, Informatica, uh, where Primera uh, bought them, yeah. uh, and we uh, we invested in that. Uh, and, and what's actually exciting about that one is there's a component of that business that um, you know that is legacy, but there's also a really good growth component to it, uh, which is what gets us excited. And the opportunity to really go deep in a partnership with them was what got us excited about the partnership and the uh, and the investment. And you know, kind of on the quarter to quarter basis, uh, sitting under a public company, you know, street mentality of of managing that, uh, it's often hard for them to really make the hard decisions and the the both the cuts as well as the investments, uh, that they need to make to, to kind of modernize that company. Uh, and so in many cases it's better suited in a private, you know, kind of private equity based, um, format. And, and so that, that can actually be really interesting and really exciting. And there's certainly a lot of those businesses that are, uh, that are out there.
0: I just want to highlight real quick for listeners, because I, uh, I'll admit, I just Googled it. LBO is a leverage buyout.
1: Oh, sorry. Okay.
0: Yes. No, no problem at all. It's, it's interesting. Uh, it's funny. We, we've got a good mix of uh, yeah. kind of like product and, and engineering types that listen to the show, as well as people that are uh, kind of much more versed in the, the corporate development yeah. and financial world.
2: And I, I tend to uh, uh, perhaps over-index on hey, being a recovering investment banker myself. <laughs> I, I just imagine everybody knows these things, but yeah, uh, and and typically, you know, um, the reason we're we're talking about this is it's only been very recently that, um, private equity firms and LBOs have really started paying attention to tech and yep. Brian, for re- really the reasons that you were saying that the industry's matured. Um, but typically these, these firms would buy, you know, um, like, you know, Heinz ketchup, right. The, right, the, right. the types of things that yep. Berkshire Hathaway would buy. Exactly. Types it's more of Warren Buffett that, style in a way. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and actually, I mean, it was back when I was an investment banker. Um, that uh, Silver Lake, uh, which I think was the first true private equity, traditional private equity tech focused firm was formed. Uh, And I remember meeting with them thinking, you know, uh, how odd, right? It it Really, these two models are somewhat incompatible, but certainly over time uh, and being the first, they they were able to create a really nice business uh, to to go and, and take that traditional private equity model. Uh, into uh, into tech and, and now there are a whole bunch of other folks that uh, play in that space as well
0: yeah I think in in quite short order I forget it maybe two years they 3xed Skype before uh, before yep. selling it That's to right. Microsoft pretty, That's right pretty wild yeah uh, Yeah.
2: which obviously then that was a, uh, a a tech buyout that you played on on the other side <laughs> yep
1: Oh,
0: that's right. Um, this is actually a pretty good uh, segue. So on the Skype episode, we talked a lot about um, the the implications of ha- having a lot of cash overseas, and that um, you know Skype was a, actually a really great way to deploy some of that capital um, because it would have a pretty heavy tax burden when when uh, attempting to repatriate it. And so the question for you is: are, are potentially changing corporate and foreign tax structures on your mind as you think about large deals? Um,
1: yeah, we're, uh, we're we're certainly always cognizant of the, uh, you know, regulatory regimes and tax regi- uh, tax regimes, um, you know, most of these larger acquisitions, um, you know, have a, a large and complex international component to it, uh, which means we're dealing with that anyway. Um, you mm-hmm. know, even at the kind of more operating internal level uh, of any given, you know, company. I mean, if you look at, uh, um, you know, at Skype, if you look at LinkedIn, if you look at a whole bunch of, you know, they, they all have you know, pretty complex operations. Uh, the that you've got to think about uh, you know uh Skype of course happened to be domiciled not in the u s uh and so that was certainly a nice benefit that we were certainly aware of uh but you know the, these things are are always changing and and um you know, if, if you think about you know, from the Microsoft overall planning perspective of of how we manage those those uh those environments uh it really has to sit within uh you know our our, our overall uh, management and, and again, these things get really complex in terms of where IP lives. Uh, you know, Apple and others have been in the news a lot lately in terms of of how they do those transfers of of tech, mm-hmm. uh, and and how that you know creates or avoids or or distributes their taxes in different ways. Uh, and so, you know, it, again, it's, it's a very complex issue that we, we certainly pay a lot of attention to. Um, I, again, I wouldn't say that going back to, to why we, why we do MA in the first place, uh, we, we certainly aren't financial engineers as a, as a business. <laughs> uh, and so we're, we're you know, always looking out for the right strategic thing. And if, if that deal happens to be Skype, that's based outside the U S or if that deal happens to be, uh, you know, LinkedIn that's based here in the U S. Um, you know, we go do the right deal. Um, uh, you know, assuming we can come up with the right you know terms and structures that, that makes the deal work. Um, and, and so we're we're not out there to be financial engineers. So that's certainly a part of what we have to do. You know, just given the, the complexity of of operations of these companies. I was always uh, I was always amazed when I worked in banking, like <laughs> how many
2: tax lawyers we had running around on every deal but yes
1: certainly part of those 28 people I discussed earlier yeah <laughs> yeah
0: in thinking about sort of the two different functions uh, you know there, there's m a activity when Microsoft acquires companies and then there's strategic investment activity which is what um, we've been talking a lot about on on this episode where you choose to deploy capital into someone for for strategic reasons do you have any good examples of uh, investments that that Microsoft has made in the last few years that um, you know ended up becoming product integrated or, like, uh, success stories for a business or some, some payoff with that strategic alignment?
1: Uh, you know, ter- payoff in terms of... Um...
0: Maybe, like, you made the, the strategic investment and then there was uh, something in the product in the ensuing years, either on, on the Microsoft side or on that, that company's side to, um, that, that took advantage of the, the sort of strategic um, alignment between the companies.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, we can look at a couple of examples uh, in in the recent past that I've been uh, been involved with. Um, If you look at, say, uh, Foursquare, uh, Mm -hmm. we made an investment Mm -hmm. in Foursquare, uh, and and we've developed a great partnership around their data uh, and data asset uh, that that feeds into Cortana. Oh, interesting! Uh, And so that's um, yeah, that that's uh, pretty cool. If you look at uh, DocuSign. What does that Sorry, look like
0: with, uh, with with Foursquare? Is that like when, when people ask Cortana about um, what's a good place to eat and it, it, it surfaces recommendations from Foursquare data? Or
1: yeah, I mean, Foursquare is one of the sets of data that that we leverage in that case. Yeah, uh, yeah, we certainly have a lot of our own uh, own data as well. and We pull data from multiple sources, but uh, you know, Foursquare has a great great set of data on yeah. uh, on location. And lots location of Foursquare and, and data gets used in. <laughs> all sorts of location use cases that aren't even related to you know this right and in know, fact, user
2: recommendations
1: um, we were we were kind of a prototype for them doing that kind of deal and now they've basically created a whole business out of licensing that data to, to, to others mm. uh, which is part of our investment thesis in in that company. Um, and uh, then if you look at uh, DocuSign, uh, you know, we had a, a, uh, some, a different example, but we, we've had a great partnership with them going back many years uh, in terms of how you could utilize their electronic signatures in Office 365. Uh, there's some good selling and marketing motions that go along with that as well that go in uh, both directions. And, and we participated in their, uh, their last uh, private round as well, long after the partnership itself had come to be. Uh, and then, if you look at a more recent one, uh, which is Mesosphere, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. container space, uh, and, and we're you know, doing a whole bunch of interesting things both with them and, and the other container players. Uh, and, and we really like that partnership as well, both on the technical and, and go to market side.
0: Do, yeah, do you ever see any sort of uh, conflicts arise where you want to uh, be horizontal and participate with everyone? Kind of, let's just say it's all the container uh, players. Um, in a very democratic and open way, and yet you have this strategic bet that you've placed on one of them.
1: Uh, we certainly do. I mean, you know, we. I mean, obviously, it depends on the space in terms of, of how uh, how democratic you want to be, uh, if you will. Uh, but again, you know, we're we're first and foremost technology partners, and and uh, and the commercial deals will speak for themselves. And so, if we're going to go and and do some sort of exclusive or semi exclusive, whether it be. Um, you know, kind of implied or, or, or purposeful uh, exclusivity in any given area, you know, the commercial partnership and, and how we do that uh, and talk about it, we'll, we'll mention that. And the investment is, is again, a separate, a separate deal. Uh, and so one good example there would be if you look at a company called Cloudflare that we invested in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they actually, uh, you know, doing what they do, they, they need to be and want to be, you know, kind of a, a neutral party. Uh, and, and to do that and to hammer it home, uh, it was actually an interesting approach by that CEO founder to, to use his investment round as a way to reinforce that message of neutrality. And so he got Baidu, uh, us, Qualcomm and Google, uh, all to co-invest together in the same round. Very
0: interesting.
1: Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, you can use these investments as, as tools and, and, you know, again, given the, the right commercial partnership, we certainly had no qualms with those guys as, uh, as investors.
2: Yeah. Maybe good, uh, uh time to jump to um on that front whether you know we we discussed with with taylor at adobe when we chatted with him a few months ago kind of what the right way was for startups to you know build the relationship over time with potential acquirers uh and he really stressed the importance of that it is a relationship you know don't expect that you're just going to call up you know a potential acquirer one day and have a deal done you know by the next week um but i'm curious on the investing front you know for you guys obviously you know different companies have different policies on on this and approaches to strategic investments but but what's the what's the best way for an earlier mid-stage company to start building that relationship um with the uh, with microsoft
1: yeah, and I think, you know, piling on with uh with the Adobe guys on that, you know, it, it is amusing uh or unamusing sometimes where you know we'll get these calls saying, Hey, you know, we have a term sheet in hand from X, uh, you know, would you like to <laughs> to also put in a in a bid, uh, you know, let us know within the next week uh <laughs> to be acquired, right? And and uh and that's it's generally not very productive. <laughs> uh and it, it is indeed a relationship and, and you know the thing to think about as a startup founder is, is um you know, getting acquired is, is almost like going through a hiring exercise. Uh and, and you, you do have to develop a relationship and trust, and essentially, the acquiring entity is indeed making a hiring decision, uh, you know, on the company as well as the specific people. And, and so, if you don't have a, a relationship in place, uh, it's really hard to to speed that through um, in, in a rapid way. And, and so, it's it's always a good idea to be developing those relationships with potential acquirers, um, you know, well in advance. And, and it leads into what I will say on the investing side, which is certainly on the, the strategic investing side for me all those roads lead through a partnership anyway uh and so you need to have that dialogue with us on the uh partnership side with the business uh, with our product unit. teams yeah with the business units and, and the product teams um you know to to get those partnerships in place uh long before i could potentially invest and and uh you know and so that's that's really the best way to do it and i'm always happy to to help get folks set up with the right folks in microsoft if they you know don't have a path in otherwise um, but, uh, but that's, that's really what has to start. And, and certainly then, you know, as those, those conversations are going, uh, to then have a separate parallel relationship development with, uh, with my team, uh, is, is certainly not a bad thing. Um, but you know, again, first and foremost, we're a technology partner the investing thing is, is really secondary to everything we do. So. Uh, you know, if, if there's limited resources, in uh, any given side, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with me as much as that hurts <laughs> me to say, uh, but, you know, and really focus on those, those strong relationships on the product level. It's, it's also more leverage for them. I mean, if they can get a, a situation where, um, you know, there's cross selling motions, I mean, the Microsoft seal, you know, field and, and sales team is, is really powerful. And, and I've certainly seen a lot of startups get uh, a lot of leverage from that. Uh, and if you can make that work, that's, it's really impactful to, uh, to a small company. Yeah. And, uh, Uh, it's funny as we uh, anybody who's in the
2: startup world knows um, it always just happens to work out that anytime that you're very close to a major milestone whether it be cementing a partnership with somebody like a Microsoft or a sales milestone also just happens to be when you're running out of money (laughs) (laughs) and founders
1: are tearing their hair out trying to balance the two of them yeah, no, I mean, it's, and it's, I, I certainly don't mean to make light of that, that really difficult challenge. And I've, I've obviously been there. Uh, and so one, one philosophy though, you know, going back again uh, to, to our investing approach, uh, you know, we're not looking to make companies or make rounds uh, except in those, you know, really uh, rare cases like the Facebook investment. Yep. Uh, and so we tend not to lead rounds. Uh, and, and we tend to just put a little bit of money in. I mean, again, we're not looking to be the primary funding source here, uh, in any given round or, deal or company. And, and so, you know, we're not, you know, we're not your typical investor. We're, we're not going to jump in and save a company if they're running out of money. Uh, and, and so we're, we're the wrong folks to, uh, to rely on, <laughs> uh, you know, on that basis. Uh, anyway, uh, and so the relationship can certainly be very helpful uh, and and both on the m a front and the investment front for for us to have that dialogue that's it's always a good thing. but uh, you know if, if if the running out of money thing is, is something that you're uh, trying to avoid, it's it's usually not uh, I'm not usually a good call. To make.
0: <laughs> yeah uh, well well jumping back over to the m a side of the house, uh, one of the theses of this show when we first set out was to figure out. What makes acquisitions successful? and self selfishly so that David and I can really understand how to build companies that will become. Um, successfully acquired and will fit into another business or more recently will actually have a successful IPO process.
2: We realized that we, yep. were, we were
0: selling ourselves short. But <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Our ambitions short. Right, right. In, in that vein, I'm very curious how uh, on the M&A side of the house at Microsoft do you judge acquisitions and do you decide if, if this worked out well and we're glad that we did this five, ten years later?
1: Yeah, um, we, we certainly do. Uh, it, it's a really hard thing to do, uh, and of course the the challenge there is that the destination is often changing as you're going through the process, and certainly in <laughs> tech, you know, two five years hindsight wise, uh, things look a lot different. Than, yeah, maybe than, ten than is than did the wrong number here. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and so you know, it, it's it's really it's really difficult to think about how to judge an acquisition and, and whether it's successful or not um, on on any really rigorous way in in tech. Uh, you know that said, we certainly try. Uh, and so, with any given acquisition, uh, we'll have a set of agreed um, j- you know, judgment milestones, metrics, uh, you know, and various criteria, which which usually include you know retention. You know, are all the folks or, or some folks of the uh, the acquired company still here? You know, six months, one year, two years later, uh, are they happy? Um, you know, have we shipped X, Y, and Z product or feature? Have we done, you know, A, B, and C integration? Have we, you know, pick your, you know, the revenue targets or profit targets, or there's some sort of accelerated, um, you know, either schedules or unit volumes for some product or feature we have, you know, pick your set of things that form the basis for why we went and did a deal. Uh, and, and we lay that all out. Uh, and we, we cement that in and then we do track that. Uh, and then the owner, you know, someone in Microsoft owns that, you know, someone in the product team, uh, product teams owns that, that team and 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 signed up for either that revenue or those features or or retention or whatever it is. Uh, and so we certainly do, um, you know, judge those over time. Uh, and that's, I think the closest we can get, you know, and again, even with that, we have to be cognizant of, of how things shift and change. And often that person might not be the same person person who's managing them, you know, those acquired uh, employees 6-12, you know, 24 months later.
0: Are there any that you think went particularly well in the last 5 years that that are worth saying like wow, that that one went really phenomenally?
1: Um yeah, and I think there there certainly are and and one thing I think that's um, that's fun to to watch is our changing approach to these things. Um and you know, I think in a lot of companies and, and certainly in Microsoft, it, it, uh, it used to be the case where, you know, let's say you're the, um, you know, product team for Outlook, uh, and you're trying to ship a mobile client, uh, and it's not going so well. Uh, and then you, you know, get management, uh, uh, buy off to go buy, buy a mobile client. Uh, in this case, maybe a company, let's just say as an example. Uh, and, and then you, you bring those folks into the company and now that, startup that you just acquired is reporting to the same people who are failing before. Um, that usually ended up being a recipe for for <laughs> d- d- just not, not. A, let's just say that the acquired companies were just more excited to be in that position. And let's say that the you know, managing uh, folks there, you know, essentially went and continued to try and do the same thing, but now just with new people working <laughs> for them. Uh, hmm. and, and so that usually didn't end well, surprisingly. Uh, and, and so... You know, I think with accompli and with with other companies we've acquired recently, uh, we've we've done that differently, uh, and and we've taken those folks and empowered them. And, and assuming they've been successful, we've continued to to expand their scope and given them more and more. And, and so, uh, you know, I think you're you're seeing the benefit of that approach with uh, with Outlook uh, Mobile and iOS, um, and uh, and how that uh, how that's worked. Uh, and so. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a case where I think we're we're pretty excited, uh, and and you could say the same thing I think for I think a lot of the other uh, companies we have acquired uh, recently.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to um, I always love thinking about what those you know as the organization matures, you know, the corp dev organization matures, or um, you know from. My world you know as a VC firm grows and sees many cycles and as individuals uh, within those organizations grow you know you you start to learn these uh, you know VCs all about pattern matching but um, uh-huh. you you get these you know sort of senses that develop and kind of informal rules and then what's really interesting is when you decide to break the rules um, but I'm thinking about like uh, you know one that um, actually be relevant to my carve out uh, you know, in VC that you learn pretty quickly is it's really hard to build a big company if you're not targeting a big market. <laughs> and, yep. uh, plenty, you know, I make that mistake. Madrona makes that mistake. Even the other great VC firms make that mistake all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then you always remind you like, God, why did I do that? You know, <laughs> uh, but, um, but, you know, for you, for you and for Microsoft now, you know, for decades, uh, having been able to, practice the craft of you know of m a and i think about you know vc is the same way um you definitely get these you know these rules that kind of evolve like oh yeah maybe we shouldn't uh if we're buying a product to replace one that's failing we probably shouldn't have them report to people who are who are who are um not successfully shipping the current product no that's right
0: yeah um one final note kind of before we move into follow-ups hot takes and carve-outs Are there any other people or companies who you admire that you think do corporate development or strategic investing really well?
1: Uh, That's a good question. I I think you see lots of different models. um, If we're talking about just the investing side, um, you know, and and Google has taken the approach of of creating a separate fund uh, and a whole separate team and, and creating those walls and trying to create a real VC, uh, and I think that's certainly one, one way to go and, and the market will, will judge over time if they're doing a good job with that or not. And, and they're essentially out there competing with any other VC mm-hmm. uh, for uh, $4. Um, you know, that can take away some of the strategic components to it uh, too. Uh, and and so there's you know all sorts of uh, views on the spectrum. You know, corporate VC has gotten, you know, I think, really hot uh, for some reason over the last uh, number of years. And, and just about everyone I think I was reading today um, that uh, you know you have all, I think it was Tyson Foods, you know the folks who make chicken, uh, they now have a VC uh, looking at a new protein replacement <laughs> uh, oh, opportunities. So, yeah. I mean, so you know Sesame Street has a VC. You know pretty much everyone has a VC yeah. these days, right? I've, I've
2: been amazed. Uh, I mean, it's been so much talked about uh, in the last couple of years, but you, know, you drive around in Silicon Valley and you see all the auto companies have their uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Silicon
1: Valley centers now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I did a deal recently with GE and Caterpillar and and others. I mean, it, you know, kind of, uh, you know, everybody's getting into the game, and, and I think that's going to be interesting to watch over time. And, and so, to kind of flip your question, um, you know, kind of, I, I think. There's a lot of folks who I'm not sure if they're doing it right and, and we'll, we'll have to see, uh, and, and again, going back to why these folks are setting it up and, and what they think they're going to get out of it. And, and as a former startup founder, uh, you know, certainly at the early stage, um, you know, certainly have to be careful about tying your, your wagon to, uh, to really anyone, uh, you know, cause you, you want to maintain optionality at, at yeah. the early stage if you can. Uh, and so that's a, a hard thing to balance against, uh, the, the corporate entities and, and, keeping in mind what we already talked about in terms of their incentives, which is really for their company and their equity versus, versus a traditional investor who's really, you know, looking to you <laughs> to make a gain. Uh, and those incentives are very different, uh, and, and that manifests itself in the boardroom, that manifests itself in, in shareholder votes and, and, for you know, follow-on rounds and, and all sorts of things that um, yeah, I think folks are going to have to be uh, be careful of. So I think there's you know a whole bunch of folks who are out there doing uh, you know doing a good job. Uh, you know, Qualcomm Ventures certainly does, and, and I think uh, Google has a pretty good reputation. And Salesforce is very active, yep. uh, and we've co-invested with them before. Um, so I've been very impressed with a lot of the teams I've I've seen in corporate VC. Um, and, uh, and and again, we'll have to see uh, how how the whole space uh, shapes out.
0: Indeed.
2: Indeed. Should we uh, do follow-ups and hot takes? Yeah, let's do it. We've got some fun ones. I, I realized um, we were negligent uh, last episode on the Marvel episode and uh, didn't discuss, I believe, uh, we discussed Snapchat's, Snap Inc.'s uh, Spectacles. Spectacles launch uh, mm-hmm. and initial very positive reviews. I can't wait to try them. Um, but we did not discuss the elephant in the room, which is IPO? Uh, news that they are rumored to be preparing to file for an IPO.
0: Yeah, uh, really interesting to think about. They're a younger company than um, Uber and a lot of these other kind of like super unicorns. Yep. Um, And uh, in in true Snapchat fashion, just not necessarily going with the trend. Like they just continually think of themselves as a different company uh, or a different type of company than a lot of these other other big companies, big private companies of their generation. And so I think... um, you know, it, there are reasons why it makes more sense for for Snapchat to be IPOing, and companies like Uber to be waiting. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, Uber in China, I think, is kind of the the big reason they're waiting. But um, with uh, with Snapchat. I continue to be impressed and I'm a, a buy at any price.
2: <laughs> but don't take Note my, to self, like, don't do take not my give investment. money to Ben. <laughs> yeah, don't take my investment <laughs> advice. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, also really interesting with Snapchat. I mean, uh, one, you know, to kind of as we talked about on the Facebook IPO show um, and then afterward as well. Um, I think it's great to see a company that is four years old uh, but clearly has achieved scale and is in the process of building a meaningful uh, revenue um, business and, and eventually hopefully profits as well um, take this step and do this yeah um,
0: Th- they've achieved domestic scale i'm very curious to see how they do internationally yep. as they really start to, to expand there because i think um you know what w- we keep seeing uh f- instagram copy a lot of snapchat's functionality. And uh, if you're already an avid Snapchat user, you often are, are not really compelled by the Instagram features. You're like, yeah. I can already have my network, my habits. But then you think about all these people that are in countries where Snapchat hasn't gotten big yet. And the, now the sort of the question is, will Snapchat ever get big in those countries since um, since Instagram kind of has a lot of that functionality yeah. now and they already use Instagram all the time. And I'm still bullish because I, I this is one of those like uh, sort of seed company bets where you just say, yeah, I wouldn't bet against that person. And like, I want to, I, I, I have a lot of faith in their ability to figure that out. And that's how I feel about Evan Spiegel and uh, the, the kind of leadership at Snapchat. But um, I I think it's important to like note a risk that they've achieved yep. domestic scale and we'll see how they do. Well, it'll be action. a
2: very interesting S1 to read yeah totally. no matter what.
0: Yeah. What are the, the risk of the business section is going to be yeah. awesome.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm curious. I don't think Microsoft is a shareholder in uh, Snap Inc. um but uh Alphabet uh, Google Alphabet is um as are several other strategic companies. I'm kind of curious Brian like when when you guys have had investments uh that then go public what do you guys do with the stock?
1: Yeah, we uh we <laughs> Depends on the situation, uh, and we we generally don't comment on what we do with it. Uh, and this goes back to, to the whole question around how how and why we're doing strategic investing is is um, you know selling a partner <laughs> uh, is, is usually a really difficult thing to do uh, because <laughs> of what it you know. And so we, we generally just don't talk about these things. Uh, and so you know people will ask, hey, you know, Facebook, have you sold your stock? And, and we just don't answer. Um, and, uh, and it's for good reason, which is, uh, you know, assuming we're under the threshold, of course, for, yep, for yep, uh, that having you don't to, have to be – uh, yep. Yeah, then uh, there's really no benefit whatsoever to talking you know, talk about how we how and what we're doing with those, uh, those stakes um, yeah. that are put which in place. Which is actually because,
2: you interesting, know, they, you know, uh, something that um, – I didn't realize even until I'd been working in venture for quite a number of years, but I think most people don't realize about the VC ecosystem. It's actually kind of the same thing. Um, you know, when companies go public, like it's not like there's a magic moment and like we sell all our shares. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, oftentimes we can't even if we wanted to. Uh, and so, um, you have VC firms that are holding shares of companies that went public long ago, uh, and figuring out it's, it's actually a big, um, it ends up being a meaningful kind of strategic discussion within VC firms of for each investment. Yeah. When's the right time to what sell? Is, when is the right time to sell? And and we also have the complication, we can distribute the shares directly to our investors. So we can just give them the shares rather than selling right. on the open market. So that's another lever we can pull. We can, we can hold, we can sell, or we can give the shares away uh, or give the shares back to our LPs.
0: Is that LP decided, or is that decided by the management of the
2: VC firm? Decided by the management of the VC firm, and then so the risk of you know the the sort of LP argument. Typically, they want us to distribute as fast as possible because, like, hey, you know, (laughs) that's our investment. We invest in you. These are shares. They're now liquid on uh, public currency. We have people that manage public stocks. You should give them to us. Right. The tension, though, is if we do that, and um, we think there's a meaningful chance that they might just sell those shares then that can be detrimental to the company if a Mm. whole slug of shares gets comes on the market at once that can depress the share price um so it's a complicated situation yeah Uh, hot take uh this is uh just today as we're recording this uh amazon announced amazon go we got to talk about this
0: yeah so uh amazon go is a Driverless (laughs) driverless drive through <laughs> store is it autonomous
2: right? AI <laughs> it is all of these things uh it's a grocery store here in Seattle uh that you walk into and there are scanners and sort of um turnstile like things when you walk into the store you scan the Amazon Go app on your phone uh and then it identifies you and then once you're in the store uh you just pick up anything that you want to buy You put it in whatever you hold it. You put it in your backpack. You put it in your purse, and you just walk out of the store. No, no uh, checkout aisle. Hmm. No cashiers. No nothing. Just automatically uh, tracks what you picked up, and you pay for it through the app automatically.
0: Yeah, I don't know if this will work, but I I love. uh, It's it's impossible to overstate how much I love Amazon's muscle for experimentation and ability to like do tens or hundreds of these sorts of things at once. And it's interesting. I'd love to know how big the team was that pulled this off. I'm willing to bet it's a lot smaller than you'd think.
2: Yep. What's also interesting, we don't know, but um, one of the cool things about how Amazon works is there are these small teams within the company that are focused on innovative projects that they're doing. I uh, there's a good chance this might be completely separate from the Amazon bookstore, uh which is in U Village here. Yeah. Um certainly it's a very different uh model of the store. Um super cool. Love to see this innovation. I can't wait to uh, it will be open to the public in early 2017. I can't wait to go try it.
0: Yeah, Brian, what's your take? You wanna check it out?
1: I, I'm excited to go buy stuff and walk out
0: <laughs> just
1: and, and see what happens.
0: Feeling like I'm shoplifting, but it being totally legit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: I mean, this, this is going to create all sorts of consternation for shoplifters. I mean, there's, there's
0: <laughs> you know, h-
1: how they're going to get around this is going to be an interesting question.
2: Yeah. I wonder into the, you know, the product and the model for this, how much they thought about that. I mean, shoplifting is like a meaningful, um, you know, it's a meaningful cost to retail stores and grocery stores. Um, this solves that problem.
1: Maybe. I mean, you know, obviously, if they have technology that solves that problem generally, um, you know, in theory, everybody <laughs> everybody who does retail is going to want to buy it. Uh, you know, yeah. you, have, uh, you have lots of companies, or I shouldn't say lots of companies, but a few companies around that have you know, anti-theft, anti-shoplifting technologies. Uh, I did some work actually as an investment banker for a company called Sensormatic, Uh, back in the day which uh, has some of those and and, you know they have some that uh, you you put in clothes and if you try and walk out it does the ink splash (laughs) across across the clothes to ruin them just like you you find with bank robbers they put in those ink things that explode uh others that just make the thing go beep um but obviously shoplifters uh you know have ways to still prevail thanks yeah Yeah, i don't know artificial intelligence though (laughs) so there's an interesting question right with with tech uh that that amazon's using here as to how they think this is going to work yeah um all right carve outs
0: yeah so mine is uh for years now maybe even a decade OK go has been producing really incredible music videos and up leveling their game every single one so for anybody that remembers maybe i don't know probably like 10 years ago the the treadmills video where um it it went totally viral and they they shot it themselves in their backyard and Um, You know, there's people dancing and they just choreographed the band members having a choreographed dance on treadmills and they up level their game over and over and over again. And and maybe a year or two ago, they did this incredible drone shot one where it was, uh, you know, the the first music video that I saw that that uh, really took advantage of. Oh, my God. What if we have this uh, slowly rising drone go into the sky and, Mm. um, you know, you can see patterns formed by thousands of people on the ground all wearing different things and they've they've up leveled their game again um so their their new video for the one moment um the entire video is shot in a super high frame rate camera and snapchat spectacles no (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not it's not but it's um it's exploding paint and like bullets going through things and it's all. also it's like the matrix it it takes place in like four seconds like the whole music video but it's all super slowed down and so you have like three minutes of, of super high frame rate footage. Oh, that's cool. And it cool. all actually lines up with the words they're singing and the, the music. It's it's really, really cool.
2: That's really cool. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. I got to watch that. Uh, mine, uh, which I alluded to earlier on the show, um, is uh, UC Berkeley. Um, I just found out about this recently and read it. Um, they do this really cool uh, oral history, uh, this program that does oral histories uh, with people that have been um, instrumental in kind of the development of the Bay area. Uh, mm. And uh, one of the aspects is business in the Bay area. And um, they have uh, Don Valentine, who was the founder of Sequoia mm. uh, and he founded Sequoia in the early seventies. He had been, um, he was at Fairchild Semiconductor. Uh, he was not part of the Trader S8 uh, that I believe was the Trader 8 left um where was it? But they founded Fairchild. Uh, and then he went to National Semiconductor and then he founded Sequoia. But these were like this was the birth of Silicon Valley. Mm. Um anyway, there's this great kind of 75-page uh it's all a transcript of hours of interviews with Don. And it's um it's fantastic just to hear him talk about that that history of the early days of the Valley and the semiconductor industry, but also the philosophy behind Sequoia, how it started, um, how they uh, evolved their uh, thinking process about things, and they're still you know, among the best in the business, um, and how they've evolved over the years. Uh, really cool. We'll link to it in the notes. Cool. Brian, uh, we know you've got one, too.
1: Yes, yes, I do. I, I, I find this, uh, particularly in light of everything that's going on uh, right now, uh, in terms of uh, the election, is an article that O'Malley published in the New Yorker about a week ago called uh, Silicon Valley has an empathy vacuum. Uh, And I think it's just a really interesting thought piece for all of us uh, just to think about, you know, how what we do uh, affects uh, everything and everyone else and and whether or not there's more we could or should be doing or, or less that we could or should be doing uh, relative to that. Uh, and that's relative to, you know, job displacement relative to, uh, you know, kind of changes in society that, uh, our technology, uh, can, can foster such as how we're impacting journalism, uh, yep. you know, how we're impacting, um, you know, culture and, and communities and, uh, and all sorts of things. And so it's, uh, it's really interesting.
2: Yeah, it's a great piece. And, um, certainly something I and Ben and I in the show have been thinking about a lot over the last, you know, month or so is, uh, um, lots of questions uh, to be asked but i don't think we can uh i don't think we should as a tech industry continue to operate just in ignorance of even trying to think about the broader impact yeah. of uh what we're doing especially as we head into you know this age of artificial intelligence and um you know all of the great things that are going to come from that and all of the social challenges as well. So it was a great piece by, by, um,
0: yeah. And to, to just pile on, like it's, I'd recommend everyone read it for sure. Um, something we have struggled with, I think, uh, David and I, and a lot of other people that, that I've talked to in the last few weeks and even before the election, um, we celebrate a lot of the things that, that technology does, uh, growth to hyperscale, um, being instagram in having 13 awe. employees yeah, yeah. at uh, in, in, when in, it was acquired in shock and awe of the um you know the model actually originally kind of created by microsoft of incredibly high fixed costs but then oh my god you can sell licenses to this software with zero marginal cost to the world at at gigantic enormous scale and now with the internet making that even more accelerated um Yes, generally, in the long term, more jobs are created after a, a, a sing one or two generations of of uh, a gap by an advanced technology. but i it um, as an industry, we really do over celebrate these gains in the short term and really do not um, come up with solutions for all the people that are are disenfranchised because of it. And I think that, uh, this piece is really great. I think we are about to have a self-driving truck um, huge change. And if uh, anybody looks at that that uh, um, uh, graphic that was floating around the internet – um about a year ago of uh truck driving is like the top job in 20 states yeah
2: including california in
0: california and like auto has just like acquired by uber has just completed successful self-driving truck trips like it it just doesn't feel like it'll be um too long now you can't ignore the the
2: consequences
0: no no and i'm i I know i'm rambling a little bit on this but it really uh we're we're
2: glad you brought it up ryan (laughs) yeah all
0: right Should should we bring it home yeah Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much um, to our listeners out there. If you aren't subscribed and you want to hear more, you can subscribe from your favorite podcast client. If you've been a long time listener of the show, or maybe you're a new listener and you just want to um, help us out, we would love, love, love a review um, on iTunes or uh, a tweet or a share on Facebook or um, any way that you can help help grow the show. So, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And, Thanks to uh,
2: Brian, and uh, we'll see you next time.
0: Yep.